0: Welcome to the entrepreneur to employer podcast. I'm your host, Brian Montes, founder of Scalosity Works and the entrepreneur to employer coaching and membership community. So congratulations is in order. If you've built a successful freelance business that has grown to the point where you need to hire, you have achieved a huge milestone. And if you're already past the point of making your first hire and your team is now growing, well, congratulations is in order to you as well. So regardless of where you are with scaling your team and your business, whether you're at employee number one or employee number 100, this podcast focuses on everything related to people operations. We'll cover best practices, strategies, and solutions to help you build a sustainable and scalable business that is fueled by great people and a great culture. So if you're enjoying listening to this Entrepreneur to Employer podcast, please subscribe, give us a like, and give us a review. Your feedback will help us grow this podcast and we'll be able to positively impact more employers to help them build better work environments. Well, welcome back to another episode of the Entrepreneur to Employer podcast where we help solopreneurs and business owners hire employee number one and beyond, where we help you build proactive HR systems for your business, and where we help you build a high-performing team that will help you scale your business. So last week, we started discussing employer brand, employer reputation, and the importance of it, and how, how having a bad or a poor employer reputation can actually hurt your your ability to recruit, your ability to retain, it'll hurt your organizational culture, right? There's a lot of things that can go wrong when your reputation as an employer is not so good. So today we're going to continue on that conversation and we're going to discuss more context around the employer brand. And what we're going to talk about today is, number one, how do you build a meaningful and productive onboarding experience? And we're going to talk about what onboarding is and what you need to do as an employer to improve the onboarding experience and why it's so important to your success as an organization. We are also going to talk about what is employee experience, what does employee experience even mean, and what can you as an employer do to improve your employees' experiences while they work for you. And then number three, we're going to wrap it all up by talking about KPIs and metrics, right? You're going to go through a lot of effort, time, money, and resources to focus on taking control of your reputation as an employer making sure that you have a healthy organization and that you're doing things correctly to improve all aspects of your business. But you want to know that it's working, right? So as with everything else, we can measure what's working and what's not working. So we're going to talk about eight of the most common KPIs that are utilized to help measure all of this. All right, with that said, let's get started. So first, let's talk about onboarding. To many people, the definition of onboarding is just getting the new hire packet done, right? Paperwork, getting the W-4 done, getting the I-9 done. Let's get all this paperwork done so we can get them in the payroll system and make them an employee. I got news for you. Onboarding is much more than just paperwork. If all you focus on in your onboarding is making sure the paperwork is done, then you already have a failed onboarding program. Now we know statistically that when we spend time to strategically map out a onboarding program that includes immersing them in the culture, training, and a whole bunch of other different aspects. Not only does the employee feel like we're investing in them right away, they have an opportunity to ramp up quicker and start providing value to your organization much faster, and they are fundamentally happier with the choice that they've made to come work for you. In order for you to create a meaningful onboarding experience, you need to think about this in a few different ways. Number one, employees need to be immersed in your culture before day number one. So throughout the hiring process, you should be communicating to them what the culture of the organization is, what your core values are, what the mission is. This needs to be made very, very clear to them before they even start. So when they walk in on day one, they understand what the culture is and that they made the choice to come work for you partially because they like the culture. Employees also need to have clarity on how they're going to be trained for success. So during that conversation, those interviews, Make sure they understand, hey, if you accept this job, and you know if we offer you the job and you accept, here's what your first couple of weeks is going to look like. Here's how we're going to set you up for success. Okay, be very clear about that well before their first day. Okay. And employees also need to know what their initial roadmap looks like, right? What does the first two weeks look like? What does the first 10 days look like at their new employer? All right. So how can you develop an impactful onboarding experience? Well, we have a four-step process for you to follow. Number one, Eliminate the boring stuff before day number one, but boring stuff is the new hire packet, right? It's the necessary stuff, but it's the boring stuff, right? Yeah. Who wants to fill out tax forms, but you got to do it. So get all that stuff done out of the way ahead of time. If you can do it before they even step foot on day one, even better. But if you do do it before their first formal day of employment, please make sure you pay them for that time. So eliminate the boring stuff before day one, if possible. Number two, divide your onboarding into three categories. One, administrative, two, cultural, three, technology. Okay, Divide your onboarding into three categories, administrative, cultural, and technology. So your administrative bucket is the new hire packet. It's all that boring stuff. Get all that out of the way, the employee handbook, all the documents they need to receive. That's your administrative onboarding. Your second bucket is your cultural onboarding. This is where you spend some time to further immerse them into the culture of your company. Continue to communicate to them the core values of the organization, the why of the organization, what it is that the organization does that's important and helps, right? And and why you make a difference. At the end of the day, there has to be something more meaningful than just going from A to B. So I'll give you an example of that. One of the things we offer as a company is we offer payroll processing. And payroll processing, not very exciting, right? But it's a, it's necessary, right? I mean, people gotta get paid. They gotta get paid on time, they gotta get paid right. So it's very important, albeit it's very boring. So I tell the team that handles payroll, your job is more than just providing payroll. Your job is to make sure that our clients' employees get paid, get paid on time, and get paid correctly. That is our why behind our payroll business. Okay, and we have multiple pieces to our business and you can create whys for every different component of your business. Third bucket is gonna be your technology bucket. Make sure before day one, whatever your tech stack is, that tech stack for the new employee is set up and ready to go. If you use Slack or Microsoft Teams, right? Whatever you use for communication, right? If you have project management software, make sure that's username and password is set up for them. Use a CRM system like HubSpot or Salesforce or PipeDrive or any of these others out there that you have them set up on that and have a training session. And maybe it's multiple training sessions so that you don't overwhelm them, but have training set up on each of the technology platforms that your company uses. right? And the training should go over how to access that piece of technology, how to use it, why you guys use it, and what components of it they need to utilize in order to be successful. So take the time to walk them through all of the technology stack that you use as a company and train them, give them the fundamental training on the why, how of using it so that they don't feel that they have to figure it all out themselves. Step number three in the process is roadmap the first two weeks. Okay, so the first two weeks, 10 days, build out a training schedule for the first 10 days. Now, this can be a combination of self guided training as well as live training. So you can have self guided training where you have Loom videos or, or archive videos, a library of videos that they can go through, or stuff to read. Give them some time for some self-guided training. Also complement that with live training, whether that's with you or with another employee or with you know an independent contractor that's been doing the job that they'll be working with. Build out time for live hands-on training. Now that can be in person or it can be Zoom depending on the structure of your company. But build out and show them over oh, the first two weeks, this is what your training schedule is gonna look like, this is what we're going to accomplish over the first two weeks. My third step for you is peer introductions and department round robins. Now, if you're just hiring employee number one, you're not going to have this and that's okay, but maybe you still need to introduce them to other people in the organization and they can be uh, contractors or, or outside stakeholders, right? Introduce them to the bookkeeper, to a fractional CFO, whomever you think it's important that they meet, make those introductions so that they understand the lay of the land and who all helps with the company. And step number four, mentor assignments. If it's possible, assign them a mentor. Now, if you've got employees already, that can be a a fellow employee that's a peer, somebody who's been in their role, somebody in a different department. If you're smaller, maybe it's somebody outside the organization, but somebody that works with your company, like a contractor. The reason for creating the mentor assignment is twofold. Number one, it's going to allow them to build relationships with other people within your organization, which is critical. Number two, it's going to give them somebody to go to, to ask questions other than you. And that's a good resource for them to have. It's going to make them understand they have resources available to them. So once you start to implement this four-step process for your onboarding program, what you also need to do is you need to utilize your new employees for new hire feedback and quality control. So after the first two weeks is up and they've gone through their initial training, sit down with them and say, hey, I just want to get your input on how you think the first couple of weeks have gone. What do you think we've done well? How has your training gone right? What do you think we need to improve upon? What's not going right? Get that feedback from them so that every time you hire, you can provide continuous improvement into the process and make it just at least 1% better each and every time. So that is how you go about developing and implementing an impactful onboarding program. Now we're going to talk about employee experience. Employee experience is not employee engagement. Those are two different topics. Employee experience is a holistic look at how the employee feels and thinks about your organization. How do they feel about your organization when they're not there or when they're leaving work or when it's Sunday night and they know that Monday they got to go back to work? Are they happy? Are they excited? Are they still positive about the organization? Do they still want to give it 100% or are they starting to dread Mondays? Are they starting to think, yeah, I don't think I want to stay here much longer or I'm just going to coast, right? Employee experience is critical. And it's up to us as employers to do everything we can to make the employee experience as positive as possible. Now, of course, there's going to be things going on in people's lives where it's going to be out of our control as an employer. But we, again, need to focus on what we can control, not what we cannot control. So how do we improve employee experience? Well, I'm going to give you a 10-point plan for doing that. The first point in our 10-point plan Focus on improving internal communications. Communication really is the linchpin to just about everything we do. Things break down within organizations because communication is either lacking or the communication that was sent out was flawed, it wasn't clear, or we communicated late. Take a step back and take a hard look at your communication, how you communicate, when you communicate, why you communicate and see if there's a chance to improve any or all of that, right? If you can improve the quality of your communications, your team members will feel as though they have a deeper understanding of what's going on in the business. They will feel you are being more transparent, and that will give them the incentive to have a stake in your business. All right, number two, design a great recruiting experience. We've discussed this on other podcasts. We've discussed this many times the better an experience you can create for candidates, even if you don't hire them, the better they're going to feel at the end of that process. Just remember, those candidates, they may not become employees and that's okay, but they could become a future customer. They could refer potential future employees to your organization. You never know how you're going to interact with those people in the future. So why alienate them? Number three, design a great onboarding experience. We've already covered this earlier in this podcast, right? But Focus on a great onboarding experience. Number four, values, your core values. Make sure the core values in the organization are lived every day and not just spoken. You know, I had a mentor quite a few years ago. First thing he said to me is, your actions speak so loudly, I cannot hear the words coming out of your mouth. And I know he didn't coin that. I know that uh, somebody else gets credit for that quote. It was the first time I'd heard it. And that was such a powerful statement to me because I realized at that point, words mean nothing. Our actions are what show people what we're about. So if you have core values on a wall, that's great. Make sure that you are living them each and every day. Number five, implement a regular use of one-to-ones. And again, we've covered this before ad nauseum as well. Make sure you're scheduling regular one-to-ones with your employees, having those formal 15-minute sit-downs on a regular calendared cadence and just having that interaction. Those relationships and the time you spend doing that are going to help you as you start to develop performance enablement, which is your next point of your plan. Again, on the one-to-ones, if you need some coaching or training on that, we have templates for it. We have training on it. So feel free to reach out to us. We'll be happy to help you roll out a one-to-one program for you or your managers. The next point in your plan is, is start to shift your mind from performance management to performance enablement. You know, as well as I do, that people do not like to be managed. I don't. I'm sure you don't. Okay. We don't like to be managed. Performance enablement is when you start to shift from sitting down at the end of the quarter and saying, okay, this is what went right this past quarter. This is what went wrong. Because if you're doing a regular one-to-one with your employee all throughout the quarter, if you're giving them continuous feedback, if you're having open communications, if you're coaching and guiding and leading, by the time you get to the end of the quarter, there's not much to discuss because you know what? Milestones have been hit things have been moved forward, accomplishments are done, high fives are given, right? So you really don't need to spend a lot of time looking back because you've accomplished it because you've been managing as you go, you've been leading as you go. So when you sit down at the end of 90 days, it becomes performance enablement. Hey, new quarter coming up. These are the three milestones we think you should work on. What do you think you should work on? Start focusing on moving forward and what the next 90 days looks like instead of looking back. The next point is create a career trajectory and professional development program. Now, it's perfectly okay if your organization is small and you you don't have career trajectory right now. You don't know what the next couple, three years are gonna look like. There's nothing wrong with that. You don't have to have a career trajectory plan for every employee, but that doesn't mean you can't invest in professional development. Provide them with tools and resources so they continue developing their soft skills, continue working with them on development of hard skills, continue professionally developing them because at the end of the day, even if you aren't going to grow fast enough that you can give them a promotion in five years, you are giving them the training, experience, knowledge that they need to potentially use your company as a launch pad. And I know a lot of employers get frustrated with that of why should I spend all this time and money investing in somebody to have them leave? Well, at the end of the day, they're going to leave regardless. So you might as well invest in them, skill them up, allow them to get those skills to provide you more value as a business owner, right? They'll continue to provide more benefit for you. And when they do ultimately leave your organization for a bigger position, the next chapter in their career, they're going to leave on a happy note because they're going to look back at that time spent with you and say, that was a good employer. He invested in me. She invested in me. They trained me. They cared about my future. Hey, I know somebody who, who needs a job. I'm going to refer them back to my old employer. Great place to work. Okay. There's nothing wrong with that. So you want your employees, when they, if they do move on, you want them moving on having had a positive experience working for you, not a negative one. You could also encourage them to leave you a positive glass door or indeed review as well. All right, next point, act on the feedback, right? As you have regular one-to-ones and, and you're working with your team, they're going to start getting comfortable enough to tell you what you need to hear, not what you want to hear. And when you get that feedback, you need to act on it. Now, that doesn't mean that you have to act on every piece of feedback. Sometimes we get suggestions and ideas that just aren't timely. They don't make sense right now. There's not a strong business case for it. And that's okay. All you need to do is go back to the employee, say, hey, you know, you gave me that feedback last week. Thank you for the feedback. I appreciate it. I'm going to tell you why we can't implement that feedback and give them the business case. Give them the logic. Nine times out of 10, they're going to understand that. And they are going to appreciate the fact that you are coming back to them, acknowledging it and taking the time to explain to them why you can't utilize that right now in your business. Number 9, provide a flexible environment for your employees. Now, I realize that not every company and not every position allows for the same type of flexibility that one might get if they work remote. Now, flexibility is not a one-size-fits-all. So if you are a manufacturing operation or retail or some type of business where, you know, your employees need to be on site, you just need to take a step back and figure out, okay, my business requires this, how can I achieve the needs of my business and still provide some type of flexibility for my employees. You're just going to have to get creative. And I will tell you how important flexibility is to candidates nowadays. Past week, I had the opportunity to interview a candidate uh, on behalf of a client. She wanted me to interview this candidate. It's a consulting firm, so they are all remote. And candidate is phenomenal, just a seasoned professional, very you know top of her game. Um, And this company would be very, very lucky to have her join the team. But one of her core concerns was, what type of flexibility will I get if I go to work for this company? Because she's married, two kids. Her husband has, he's a director of marketing, but he has to work in office, so he's not home. So, you know, she's got two young kids and she's like, I need to know that I'll have flexibility. You know, if I need to take my son to the doctor at two o'clock in the afternoon, is that going to be feasible? And luckily with this organization, the answer to that is absolutely yes, because this particular business owner, her focus is performance. Right? All she expects is that you're available for a certain amount of core hours during the day and that you complete the work on time, you complete the work above the client's expectations and that your work product is solid. Right, So she's measuring performance. She's not measuring butts in seats, time in the seat. Right, She doesn't care about that. You can work just about whenever, just as long as the work is done and it's delivered to the client on time or ahead of schedule. So with that, the trade-off is, yeah, you're going to have flexibility. And that answer was absolutely what this candidate wanted to hear because she told me that if I had said no, there's not much flexibility, which if there wasn't, I would be honest with her, of course. But if I told her that there wasn't much flexibility there, she said doesn't matter how much money the employer would offer her, she wouldn't take the job. Flexibility to her is paramount and it rides above or it sits above compensation. So flexibility is key nowadays. Last but not least, create a leadership team that is willing to be held accountable. Leaders, we need to allow ourselves to be held accountable. should be top-down leadership as well as bottom-up leadership. And as your employees will start to tell you more of what you need to hear, not what you want to hear, they're going to tell you when you have failed as a leader. You need to embrace that feedback and you need to vow to do better. So there's nothing wrong with being held accountable by your team. All right. Giving you a lot of information so far. We're going to wrap this up with KPIs and metrics, right? Because at the end of the day, You need to know that this is working, right? If you're going to take the time, if you're going to invest the money, time, resources into building a healthy organizational culture, into improving your employee experience, into developing a robust onboarding program, you need to know this is working. So there's lots of KPIs and metrics out there that you can can look at. I'm going to give you the top few right now. Work with your CPA, accountant, whomever, because these KPIs and metrics can be put on your financial statements. So as you start to roll this out, you need a benchmark where you're at today so that in 30 days, you can review it. In 60 days, you can review it. In 90 days, you can review it, right? Get your benchmark and then start reviewing your numbers. Here's some KPIs that you can start out with. Number one, talent retention. You can track how long employees stay with your organization. This is also known as attrition. So is your average attrition rate six months? Is it nine months? Is it 12 months? You need to track your attrition rates because as you improve your culture and everything else, your attrition rates, your retention should lengthen, right? If you only hold on to employees for nine months now, the goal is when you evaluate this in six months or nine months or 12 months, your retention's gone up another three months or four months, right? You want to increase retention. That tells you and shows you that your strategy and your implementation is working. KPI number two that you can track is time to hire. This is number is important because from the time you put out a job posting, how long does it take you to fill that role, right? If it takes you 16 weeks to fill a role, that's a long time for you to be without a body in that seat. So time to hire is critical. And if you're improving your brand as an employer, if you are improving your reputation as an employer, your time to hire will come down. You will start to fill these roles faster. The next KPI that you should look at is absenteeism. Hey, outside of sick leave and PTO, of course, you need to be looking at how often an employee is absent. If you have increasing absenteeism, that is definitely a symptom of a problem. They're getting unhappy. They are, the experience is decreasing. They have something going on in their personal life. They're looking for new opportunities. Something is going on when there's a high level of absenteeism. So you need to be tracking attendance at work. New hire training investment, right? So if you build out a robust and meaningful onboarding training program, you're going to have to invest some dollars. So you're going to need to budget a number to support your training of the new employee. Here's what you're going to find. As you do your annual budgeting, you'll come up with a number and over time you'll have a historical number. You'll say, okay, I need to dedicate X amount to a training budget. Now there's training budget for new hires and a training budget for year round. Those are two separate budgets. We are talking strictly about new hire training budget, the budget you set for just their initial ramp-up. What you're going to find is that as you improve your brand as an employer, and as you improve employee experience, and as you improve your organizational culture, and your retention goes up, your attrition goes down, you will find that your budget allocation for new hire training goes down. Why? Because you don't have to hire as much because you're holding on to people longer. So you're not having to spend as much money on recruiting, training, and developing. I mean, you see how this all ties together? Recruitment conversion. That is another KPI that you should monitor. Recruitment conversion is the conversion percentage that you look at when you place a job offer. How many people convert from job offer to employee? That's an important number for you to look at. Ideally, you want it to be 100%. But if you have a 50% hit rate where only 50% of the new offer of the offerers that you go out convert to employees, there's a problem somewhere in your process. So you want to be tracking recruitment conversion and doing everything you can to move that number to 100%. Next KPI you should be looking at is milestone completion, right? As you roll out your regular one-to-ones and your performance enablement and you're establishing all of that, you need to be looking at the completion of the milestones of each team member, right? If you have three big milestones that a team member is supposed to complete over quarter three, you need to be tracking, did this all get completed or did we miss a milestone? And again, don't wait till the end of quarter three to go to them and say, hey, this milestone isn't getting completed, right? This is all work that should be going on throughout the quarter but you still need to formally track that milestone completion percentage. So those are some of the KPIs you can start with. There's a lot of other KPIs that are available to you as well, but don't overwhelm yourself with you know hundreds of KPIs right now. Start with just a handful and work with your accountant or your bookkeeper to get these onto your P&L. You can actually benchmark these and track these and see the financial impact of how improving your employer brand, how improving your organizational culture, and how improving your employee experience can actually improve your top line and your bottom line. Well, that is it for today. I hope you have learned some things you can take out of this podcast today and start working on in your business immediately. Again, you know, if you need some help with hiring employee number 1 or implementing proactive HR systems or building that team so that you can scale your business, feel free to check us out at the uh, Entrepreneur to Employer community right? It's where we coach and work with solopreneurs and business owners that are starting to scale their business and transition from being a solopreneur to an employer. So check us out. We're happy to help. Again, if you've enjoyed this podcast, I would certainly appreciate a rating, a review, some feedback. And if you think there's anybody else that can benefit from this podcast, please feel free to share it with them. We'd like to get this out to as many people as we can and help as many businesses grow and succeed as possible. All right. Till next week, make it a great week and we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Entrepreneur to Employer podcast today. We have a free resource for you. Download our free workbook with the 18 questions that a transitioning entrepreneur to employer needs to ask and answer before making that first hire. The link to your free resource is in the show notes. Last but not least, subscribe to this podcast and give us a review. The more we grow this Entrepreneur to Employer community, the more we can make sure that Mondays, or any day of the week for that matter, don't suck.